This is episode 30 of the Prepper Website Podcast. In today's episode, we're looking at how to be a survival group leader, crossing borders in a crisis, passports, cash, credit, and respectability, and how to design a rainwater collection system for survival. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I want to point out a couple of things. Um, first of all, the online player that I have on PrepperWebsitePodcast.com it's a really it's optimized for mobile phones or smartphones or tablets. It's a really neat little player. Um, so if you don't have you don't have iTunes or you don't have uh, a podcast catcher, but you want to go check out the or you want to listen to the podcast on your phone, you can go to uh, the the website theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and click on the tab that says listen online, and it, and it'll bring up the player. It's it's it works really well. I brought it up on my phone. And uh, I was very, very impressed with it. Still haven't done the video on how to download episodes. I need to do that. I'll probably do that tonight. I have a little bit of time, so um, kind of do that. But I just wanted to point that out. That online player works really, really well. I also want to point out that there is uh, a new poll on Prepper website. I haven't talked about it since uh, we've started the podcast. I haven't really had a poll in a while. But uh, I put it out there right before I started um, started the podcast or started recording. And it's uh, when it comes to my preparedness, and here are, the, here are the, the choices, I'm looking for a group to prep with. It's me and my extended family, parents, uncles, aunts, cousins. I'm going alone. It's just me and my immediate family, spouse, and kids. Or I already have a group that has a plan in place. And so uh, there's only six votes right now. Um, and, you know, I can probably refresh. But, uh, and I am recording this one. It is Friday, so I'm trying to... Re- so there's seven now. Uh, I just put it up. And so, um, I'm, when I said I'm recording, I'm recording the video of it and throwing it up on YouTube. So, uh, you know, if you get a chance, I'll link to it on the episode 30 show notes, and you can go and and kind of uh, vote and see, you know, where you where you're at. This question always comes up in the preparedness community, and so it's just curious. It's good to see, you know, where everyone's at because you know every, there's people out there that think everybody has a group, you know. And then there's other people who think, hey, it's just, you know, you're going alone. And so let's kind of see where, where people are. Hey, I want to point out that the Garden Pick Share, um, you know, we, I've been talking about it all week. Um, it, we still have uh, till Monday. And so I will talk about it on the Monday podcast, uh, which, again, I record on Sunday evening. I'll talk about that on, on the Monday podcast. And then Monday evening, that'll be kind of like the last uh, the last day, and I'll kind of shut it down. I, I'm really uh, appreciative of some of my friends online. Uh, so, you know, Gay over at Backdoor Survival and Linda over at Food Storage Mom, uh, you know, have said that they're sharing it out and uh, to their Facebook groups. And uh, hopefully, we we get some uh, we get a lot of pictures. And we got some more some more pics in today. I have some ideas of what I want to do. I mean, it'll only kind of work. Uh, well, this other idea is if uh, you know there's there's enough pictures there but if not we'll just post them and we'll just kind of see what it is and and again the idea is post whatever you can see out there whatever you have wherever your whatever your garden is even if you haven't started and then in three or four weeks we'll take another picture and then you know kind of kind of see where we are then and so uh, I'm kind of excited about that I think we can learn a lot from each other just by looking at our pictures so 
If you get a chance, go ahead and send me your picture. My email is on uh, the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com sidebar. It's Todd.Sepulveda at PrepperWebsite.com. I'm going to link to, in the show notes, the Garden Pick Share uh, article, and then you can kind of, it gives you a little bit of information. All right, so this is the actual, this is the second time I've started this, uh, this podcast recording this evening because I started ranting and I didn't want to rant. So I'm not going to rant. I'm not going to rant. I'm not going to rant, so Todd, don't rant. All right, so here it goes. Um, earlier, I was on uh, the survivalistblog.net, MD Creekmore's uh, website, and I was uh, one of the articles that I'm reading today is from his website. And so when I when I went there to go ahead and pull it and everything, uh, I saw another post that he had uh, that he had written, and he's looking at. Uh, different. Uh, he's made different headers, and he was asking his community. He has got a big community over there. A lot of people, you know, comment in the for, in, in his comment section, and so you know, a big community over there. So he's asking, "Hey, what do you guys think?" But he linked to this article about um, a big survival website. You know, that all of you more than likely know, uh, unless you just you're brand new into preparedness and just started listening to to our podcast and maybe came in from iTunes or Stitcher, um, but. Almost everybody knows. They started out by offering those free little cards that turned into all survival knife and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I, I don't want to go into the specifics, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna link to this article so that you can go check it out and go read it. And I'm gonna let you decide how you feel about it. But what I would like to say is if you would really consider supporting those smaller preparedness websites. And not even the smaller ones, but the the ones that put in the effort, that put in the effort to really do it, that they're, they're real preppers, they're real homesteaders, they're real survivalists, they're, will, they're real wilderness survival bushcrafters. Uh, you know, they're putting out the content, they're writing. A lot of the times we have... Uh, different jobs, man. I mean, we have we have day jobs, and then we come home at night, and we write our articles, we do our podcasts, we do our videos, we do all that kind of stuff, and you know, it's kind of our life. And so, there are some sites out there that take advantage of that, and they use the content that the smaller sites or you know the the real the real I'm gonna real quote unquote preppers are putting out there. And um, they they're just building a business, and this this maybe when you read this article it might infuriate you. Um, I I know that it infuriates all the other uh, preparedness uh, website owners that are out there, and so uh, please consider supporting those smaller websites. Please uh, please consider supporting the smaller. Uh, preparedness stores like the online stores um, I've kind of learned my lesson throughout the years there are some um, there are some advertisers even if it means I lose money that I will not take on prepperwebsite.com and so I, I want to focus on more of the smaller uh, you know people that are out there the smaller websites smaller online stores that are trying uh, to you know, to make it out there because they're the ones who are going to to really last. They're the ones who are really knowledgeable, uh, and so you know th- these companies that come in and because they see money in the niche, they're here, and then as soon as it starts, you know, it, it's not really making money anymore. They're gone. There's people that have been that are advertising with with me on PrepperWebsite.com. 
that have been in the preparedness survival niche before it was even called prepper or survival, right? And so um, I'm going to link to this article on the uh, on the show notes of episode 30, so you can go check it out, see how you feel. But please consider supporting those those websites. When you go to those websites, make sure that there's a real person behind that website. Now, when you go to the about section and someone's hiding their face and the the information is very vague and there's no real you know information on who they are. I don't know. I, I've I've got a problem with it. And I know there there are some are, there are some websites that I link to that are like that. But as far as really getting behind, um, you know, supporting them maybe with their products and things like that, you know, consider that. Um, really consider that. I, I learned a long time. There's no reason why. And okay, so uh, Todd, don't rant. <laughs> there's no reason why someone would hide if they're if they're a website owner that they would really want to hide who they are unless they're not who they are. Um, because here's the thing: who are you hiding from? If you're hiding from the government because OPSEC and all that kind of stuff, well then, um, then too bad because they already know you. And just because you can go, you know, there there are places online where you can put in somebody's website address and you can bring them up and you can see who they are and you can that kind of stuff. Well, you know, a lot of these people they they hide who they are, and I, I can I understand that you're, you're trying to hide personal information. But at the same time, it's like they're so locked down. There's no, there's no way you could really find out who they are, uh, unless you're like an investigator, and uh, you know people don't have a lot of time for that. So um, my thing is like, if you go to somebody's website and in the about section, you know they have a shamag over them, or they're on, they're in a gas mask, or you know, and and they don't, they give you very vague information. I don't know. I have a problem with that. I'd rather support those people who I know who they are. They're a real life person, uh, you know, and I see their pictures and, and, and they're out there. Because the thing is, is that if you're online in any way, any way, right, there's no way that you cannot be tracked. I mean, you can be stupid and you can do stupid stuff and you can say stupid stuff like you want to do bad things to people. And that might set off some some, you know, some flags somewhere. But for the most part, if you are being the gray man out in you know real life, uh, be the gray man online too. But you know you're not saying stupid stuff. But you know you're not you're not you know. There's no way that they cannot track what you're doing if that's what you're worried about. If you're worried about that, then you don't need to be online completely. You need to get rid of the internet, get rid of your phone, get rid of your computers, get rid of all that stuff, and stop doing that. Okay, so. That was a little bit different rant than my first one. So I feel a little bit better because I, I was really going off. And so I'll kind of bring it back. So I'll link to that article that you can go check out. And uh, let's go ahead and get to these uh, articles because, it's, man, it's already 11 minutes in. And we want to get to this first one. All right, so this first one comes from a really uh, a good friend, someone that I respect in the, in the Prepper community. Um, uh, this is the first time that I'm reading his articles. You know, one of the things is I'm I get permission from everybody. I'm not I'm not just pulling people's websites and stuff. I'm getting permission from all the website owners before I read their articles. And so, uh, you know, that, that's a process that I'm doing. But we've got a big list now of of uh, people that are saying yes, Todd. You know, please read read our articles. 
and uh, you're, you're welcome to it. And so this is coming to us from Tim Gamble at timgamble.com. Um, I link to his uh, Patriot's Prayer on prepperchurch.com every Sunday. This, this week I was late and just so busy. did it on Monday, but uh, he's got some good stuff. And so uh, his article is How to Be a Survival Group Leader. And to be honest, in all the time that I've been, uh, you know, with Prepper website and, and doing articles, I think I've only seen maybe one or two types of these articles. And really, if um, you really can uh, apply the things that he's going to say here into any aspect of life, in any, uh, you know, in any situation, uh, if you're, you know, uh, a scout leader, if you're you know, at work, if you are, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you're running, you can do it. Uh, so, how to be a survival group leader? Let's go ahead and start reading. Are you are you planning on being your survival group's leader during a disaster of post SHTF scenario? Are you a leader now? Leadership is about a lot more than just having a title or occupying a certain spot on an organizational chart. Being an effective leader isn't easy, and you won't transform into one overnight. Develop your leadership skills now before the SHTF. Entire books and doctoral theses, ha, theses have been written and university-level courses are taught on the subject of leadership. This short set of tips is only a brief introduction to the topic. Planning on being your group's leader? Be honest. Are you a leader now? Do others think of you as a leader? If you are planning on being a leader, you're doing... If you are planning on being a leader, you're doing it wrong. You should be a leader now, not just in your eyes, but also in the eyes of those who lead. If folks don't already see you as a leader, you have a lot of work to do before you actually become one. Okay, side note, John Maxwell, because at one point I had written, I've read all of John Maxwell's books. Uh, he's a you know, leadership guru and also coming from the, the ministry side. Um, he quotes, and I can't remember who, who says this, but he says, if, if you're a leader and you look behind you and no one is following you, you're just taking a walk. All right. So if you, if, if you think you're a leader and you look behind you and no one's following you, you're just taking a walk. So I love that quote and remember that one. All right. Continuing on. Planning on being your group's leader, lead by example. Leadership by example is really the only true leadership. The saying, do what I say, not what I do, is pure rubbish and is meant to poke fun at those folks who seem to have that attitude. Good leaders don't just lead, they develop others into good leaders. True leaders develop others into leaders. You need to be able to spot leadership potential and to nourish it into fruition. For some, this may be difficult as they tend to see other potential leaders as competition. Good leaders communicate very clearly. Always clearly define your expectations. Man, this is a good one right here, right? This is a, a, an important, important um, key for in, in leadership. This one is huge in my opinion. Bad leaders often fail when it comes to clear communications. This could be due to a lack of self-confidence, poor communication skills, uncertainty over what actually needs to be done, or even an effort at CYA in case something goes wrong. If something goes wrong, they can blame others for not understanding their instructions. All right. Good leaders know how and why to delegate. It both frees up the leader's time and helps to develop others. Poor leaders often fail to delegate correctly and tend, in my, tend to micromanage unnecessarily. Good leaders know mistakes will happen. Never publicly criticize or shame someone for making a mistake. Mistakes happen. Unexpected events occur. 
Good leaders know this and aren't taken by surprise when it happens. Publicly humiliating the transgressor accomplishes nothing. Remember the mantra, praise publicly, correct privately. Man, that's awesome. Good leaders accept responsibility for their mistakes and the mistakes of those under them. The buck stops here. This is often a missing part of leadership today. It seems like no one wants to accept responsibility for anything anymore. Good leaders do. You know, uh, the bad thing about this article is that I want to just comment on every... I want to just keep commenting. And so, uh, you know, that's a good article, man, when you want to just keep interjecting and all of this stuff. But leadership is one of those things that I love to uh, love to uh, learn about. Definitely have leadership podcasts on my podcast catcher. All right, continuing on. Good leaders know they must inspire trust in those they lead. If folks don't really trust you or your decisions, you are not going to be able to lead them effectively. Give your group members reason to trust your character, your abilities, and your vision. You cannot demand trust. It must be earned. A good leader knows he sets the tone for those around him. The leaders on sports teams are great examples of this idea. Good leaders exude an aura of confidence, determination, drive, and positivity that infects their teammates. A good leader never shoots the messenger. Bad news is always upsetting, but a good leader never takes it out on the one delivering the bad news. Leaders who do tend to shoot the messenger often are lacking in self-confidence, and this fault will quickly become apparent to the entire group. A good leader adapts his leadership style to the needs of those around him. A good leader knows he has to adapt to the needs of those he leads. This may mean that the good leader must suppress his own ego and change his approach before he can effectively lead. A good leader maintains realistic expectations. Expectations are a balancing act. You can be unrealistic in your expectations both by expecting too much and too little. Developing the ability to read people and accurately judge their capabilities is very important. A good leader is always consistent and fair. A good leader does change his mind, orders and expectations when it is necessary, but never at a whim or without good reason. Inconsistency creates confusion and mistrust. A good leader is also fair and doesn't single out individuals for special treatment, good or bad. A good leader doesn't foster a good old boys club or engage in nepotism. A good leader is willing to listen to honest feedback. A good leader never considers himself above criticism. A good leader is never a bully. Bullying others into doing what you want is not leadership. Have you seen the movie Ender's Game based on the Orson Scott Card book by the same title? In it, there is a character named Bonzo who was commander of Salamander Army at the battle school. Despite being smart and talented, Bonzo was a complete jerk who relied on fear and intimidation to rise to the rank of commander. He was not a leader, but rather just a bully. In reality, he would have washed out of any military or business leadership program long before becoming a commander. In the end, Bonzo got himself seriously hurt when he started a fight with another student who stood up to his bullying tactics. Watch the movie, or better yet, read the book for more details. Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card is on the U.S. Marine Corps professional reading list. I did not know that one, man. I want to go check that, maybe check that movie out. Good leadership is about getting people to work together, effectively for a common goal. It is not about forcing others to do things your way. A good leader makes those around him better. Think Magic Johnson or Larry Bird. Those two NBA stars were famous, not only for their great abilities, but also for making their fellow teammates better. 
more than just setting a good example or a positive tone, a good leader actively seeks to make those around him better. Note, for a great discussion on leadership by the main prepper and the Patriot nurse, watch their video, How to Be a Leader, Fundamentals and Principles, on YouTube. You will recognize many of the ideas presented here. All right, so uh, again, awesome article. Um, go check out, and like I said, there's links uh, here that you'll want to go check out. And, uh, you know, Patriot Nurse and uh, Main Prepper. I don't know if Main Prepper is back on the scene yet. Um, I, I haven't seen the video. Maybe somebody can let me know if, that, if he is or not. But, uh, and then he's got the, the link to uh, the Ender's Game to the book there. So really good article by Tim, uh, timgamble.com. Go check it out, How to Be a Survival Group Leader. And again, you can, you can apply that into anything. All right, moving on, we're going to be at the survivalistblog.net. Like I said, uh, this is MD Creekmore's uh, website. I was, uh, this is where I was pulling that other one from the one that where I was ranting. But um, this is a good article and something to consider. And when I, when I think about this one, I think about, you know, not too long ago, my wife and I, uh, we didn't know where we were going. We were, you know, praying about what our next move was, and uh, you know, felt possibly that if, if, or not, we didn't feel, but we wanted to be prepared. If we felt the Lord leading us maybe to another country to be a missionary, or maybe to another state or whatever, we wanted to be prepared. So uh, we had passports, but our kids didn't. So we got our kids' passports, and so you know, this is part of that is making sure that you have your passport. I know that. Uh, First of all, Fernando Aguirre talks about that a lot and just having your passport, having it ready and up to date. So if you needed to, you could, you know, bug out to another country and, and you had that option to do that. And so um, I don't know why. I, I, OK, so I'm, I'm sorry, uh, chasing rabbit trails, but I'm thinking I've had that conversation with survival mom, you know, Lisa Bedford. And she's she uh, wrote a real good article about looking at other countries to, to move to. And it's not as easy as we think. You have to have a whole lot of money to be able to go. And that other country wants to, you know, it's so easy for people to come to America. Though these other countries, if you were to go there, they want to make sure that you can provide for yourself. They want to make sure that you have enough money. I mean, you got to, you know, you got to prove some things. Not only that, I think America is so big and we have so many resources. Yeah, that we have big metroplexes and things like that. I just think that we have a lot more options and resources here in America and more room to spread out if you needed to, if, you know, things uh, went awry. So anyway, but I, I think it's always you know, positive to have your, your passport. You never know. But then also this uh, author makes... Some really, this writer also makes some really good points about why you would want it to maybe to cut across um, maybe the United States. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. We recently sent in our passport for renewal. While we don't do a lot of international traveling, maybe once in five years or so, we do keep our passports up to date. Ours expires in August, and since some countries won't allow entry on a passport with less than six months left on it, it was time to renew. Yes, that does mean that for certain purposes, like entry into another country, passports for practical purposes expire six months before they say they do. It is true that if things are so bad in the U.S. that we must flee the country, other places may be worse or may simply refuse Americans' entry. On the other hand, getting from point A in the U.S. to point B in the U.S. might require crossing a border. I used to drive from Wisconsin to New England every summer. I usually took the U.S. route, but once I tried the Canadian route. 
That is where a passport would be critical. It provides route options not open to people who don't have passports. Avoiding a problem area in the U.S. might require a circuitous route, either by driving or flying into another country. If one wanted to get from New England to Idaho during a major breakdown in which the entire Midwest was already in chaos, it might be safer faster to either drive or fly through Canada. Circumstances at the time would dictate that, of course, but not having a passport closes off the option. Or suppose you're in Florida when something terrible happens there. You must get out of the area now. All the flights to domestic destinations are filled with panicked travelers, but there are seats open to Mexico City, Belize, and Toronto. And from there, you can get to your U.S. destination. Do you consider those options? Not if you don't have a passport with you. When we got out of Lebanon in 1975, what is now known as the Battle, Battle of the Hotels had been going on for a week, eventually killing 500 and wounding over 1,200 in downtown Beirut. I was able to quickly get a flight to my preferred destination, Tehran, but everyone else who was on their way to the U.S. simply took any flight out of here to a safe place. That turned out to be Rome, as I recall. After they got to Rome, they got tickets onward and made their way, but getting out of Beirut today was a primary consideration. Anywhere else, right now. The road to the airport had been under sniper fire for the week before we left, and the airport was mortared the day after we got out, so this was not foolish haste. Spending the night in Beirut was not a viable option. The hotels were occupied by opposing forces which were shooting at each other with heavy machine guns, mortars, and rockets. The luxury hotel district had become what we would refer to as a really bad neighborhood, quote-unquote. At the same time, many Lebanese who could afford it sent their families to other countries to avoid the fighting. They had to have passports to do so. Getting those might not be possible during a breakdown. They had to have them ahead of time. So, since we do use passports from time to time, we make a point of keeping them up to date, even if we have no current plans to travel outside the U.S. Related to passports are cash, credit cards, and respectability. In a crisis, you will need all four to cross a border. In an extreme crisis, we might need to throw money at a problem. That is where it is extremely important we have at least one credit card with plenty of credit available and ideally enough cash and or traveler's checks to convince an immigration official in another country to let us in. We will likely also need either a credit card or a lot of cash for an emergency ticket. We might be in a situation where none of those do us any good, but if we need them and don't have them, the best option closes. Back in the 1970s, I arrived in London looking a bit scruffy. While dapper young men got waved through, the immigration official demanded I prove I had sufficient funds to support myself. Fortunately, I had plenty of traveler's checks and an American Express card. He limited my stay to 30 days, but he did let me in. I was a bit of a slow learner as I flew from Bangkok to Honolulu looking, not exactly scruffy, mind you, but wearing Indian white cotton pajamas, flip-flops, several silver necklaces and bracelets, a very spiffy blue shoulder bag from Burma with a wheel of nirvana embroidered on it, and a small book bag for luggage. I then presented the passport filled with drug country entrance and exit stamps. Sorry. I've already, I mean, I've read this article, but just reading that again, just putting the picture in my mind, it's kind of funny. You can kind of imagine what she looked like when, you know, she was coming up to the, um, to the desk and what the, what the custom people, custom officers thought. 
So do I need to tell you that everything I had was gone over rather thoroughly, including hauling a couple things off for laboratory analysis while I waited? No gray, gray man stuff here. I had managed to get their attention. I was clean. I was a returning citizen. I eventually got in. What if I had been trying to fly into Canada or Europe, though? Would I have gotten in? What if it was during a major breakdown? Look respectable when crossing borders and be squeaky clean. That's good policy any time, of course. No matter how depraved you may actually be, try to look normal for the area. Go gray man. Another time I came down with infectious hepatitis in the ethnic Tibetan area of northern India and decided the best course was to fly home via London. This was a bit of a personal crisis, so I wanted to be a respect, as respectable as possible going through all airports and immigration stations. Gray man, that's me. I went to the bazaar, got a short haircut. Uh, I said she, I think it's a he, sorry. I went, I went to the bazaar, got a short haircut, bought some cheap dark slacks, a collared shirt, and some dark glasses to hide my screaming yellow eyeballs, ditched my Indian pajamas, and had no problems with either airlines or the immigration authorities in New Delhi or London. When I eventually arrived in U.S. Customs in Chicago wearing the same slacks and collared shirt, Mr. Customs Man looked at my passport with two sets of additional, additional fold-out accordion pages covered with stamps from every major drug country country from Morocco to Thailand and demanded to know what I had been doing on my trip. I looked him in the eye and confidently said, trout fishing. He demanded to see my fishing gear. Guess what? I actually had a little telescoping uh, fish, fishing rod, a small reel and lures in my shoulder bag because I really had gone trout fishing in northern Pakistan. I still had my Pakistani fishing license. I was respectably dressed I had been engaged in a respectable activity and could prove it. I was respectable. He let me in without any further questions. So my policy since has been to keep my passport up to date, stay clean cut, keep plenty of available credit on the card, plenty of cash, and be very polite to custom officials. In a major crisis, all of those things might be the difference between getting through and being in a very deep kimchi. Kimchi, I think it is, sorry. If you're interested, Wikipedia has decent accounts of the battle. Just plug Battle of the Hotels into the search field. Kimchi, uh, kimchi I'm sorry, is Korean spicy fermented cabbage and vegetables. Delish, but you don't want to dive into a vat of it. If you're, if you're interested in what we experienced as civilians in Lebanon as it slowly broke down in a vicious 15-year civil war, see my two previous articles. Civilian in a Civil War Zone Part 1 and Civilian in a Civil War Zone Part 2. Also, don't miss George's family's article about growing up in Beirut during the Civil War. For pictures of the hotels after the battle, Google image search for Battle of the Hotels Beirut or Holiday Inn Battle of the Hotels Beirut. When the battle started, those hotels were operating and occupied. The hotels got seriously chewed up. They just were not designed against rockets. What would you do to escape after your, your hotel had been taken over and rockets were coming through the walls? Would you want a passport, cash, credit, and respectability? All right, man, good article there. And um, the, the author's name is Penrod, so, but I'm assuming it's a guy. Sorry, I don't know why I said uh, woman. But anyway, so a lot of good information there. You want to be the gray man, you, you know, going through customs is such a, you know, uh, it, it's a pain in the butt, man. We, um, I have a story of when we, uh, my parents took us all to, on Alaskan cruise one year, and um, we, 
so we were in U.S. territory the whole time. Uh, the only time we weren't is when we flew in. We flew into Canada, or we uh, the port. I'm sorry. The the ship docked in Canada. We got off the boat. We got onto a van or a bus. We went to the to the airport, straight to the airport, and went in. You know, went through customs. And because my kids didn't have, we were going from Canada to the U.S. Uh, U.S. customs agents, man, they, this guy was an idiot. And so, you know, my, my, I had young kids. One was, you know, one of my kids was looking at uh, some of the equipment that they had up there, and he touched it, and he was very rude. Instead of just like, hey, son, please don't touch that or whatever. I mean, he was like, he jumped all over him, and, you know, and we were like, wow. So uh, they didn't let us go right away. I mean, they made us go into a holding cell, and there was Chinese nationals in there. And so this African-American lady, I guess she was maybe a supervisor or whatever, she comes out, and she goes, uh, why are y'all here? And uh, I think he gave me a slip of paper or something. I can't remember, but uh, he handed it to handed it to her and goes, "Well, my kids don't have passports." And she looked at the piece of paper. She rolled her eyes and said, "You're free to go." And you know, escorted us to the uh, to the door. And so I'm, I'm I'm glad that she did that because we were starting to text text uh, the rest of the family like, "Hey, man, we might be held up. We might miss our our uh, our flight." So, you know, it's just, it's, it, there's always something. Having a passport for the kids at that time would have been no, I mean, no question. We just would have flown right through, right? So it is uh, something to consider and it's something you can put in place. I like the idea of traveling through Canada if you needed to get, you know, get home or get somewhere else if you couldn't, you know, cross through the U.S. route. Or even, like she said, being, he said, I keep saying she, he said, being in Florida, but you can't get a plane, you know, to a U.S. city, but you can go to like Monterey, Mexico, or, you know, you know, Laredo, or, you know, uh, one of the border towns, and then cross over. And so that, that's a big possibility. All right, so good article there. There are some uh, links to some some other articles that might be very interesting for you, like the civilian in a civil war zone and uh, article about growing up in the Beirut during civil war. I mean, that might be very applicable to preppers uh, when you're looking at you know our current world and where we're at. All right, so on to the to the the last article. This is coming to us from SkilledSurvival.com, and uh, SkilledSurvival.com. This article is called "How to Design." A rainwater collection system for survival. And so let's go ahead and. Uh, sorry, my computer was talking to me. I don't know what it said though because I was talking. All right. So, um, how to design a rainwater collection system for survival. Uh, this article is really good. There's a lot of great uh, videos in here. Uh, Skilled Survival d- does a good job of putting together a lot of information. So, they've got you know pretty in depth articles. So, let's go ahead and start reading this one. Should you install a rainwater collection system? The simple answer is yes, because water is vital. Hopefully that's not news to you. It's the only resource on earth that's guaranteed to hold or increase in value during a crisis. So let me say that again, because I think that's a very, very important statement that we don't always grasp. Hopefully that's not news to you. It's the only resource on earth that's guaranteed to hold or increase in value during a crisis. Oil, gas, and even gold all pale in comparison to real value of fresh drinking water in a survival situation. It's the stuff of all living things. It's so essential, in fact, that astronomers search for water on other planets more than other chemicals for signs of life. We wouldn't exist without our best friend H. Sorry, we wouldn't exist without our best friend H2O. 
Without water, human beings would shrivel up like raisins. We'd die like a plant in a severe drought. So learning how to collect a sustainable source of drinking water is a vital survival skill. Honestly, no one cares that you can fell a tree in under five minutes, at least not when there's no water around. Big deal if you can catch skin and cook a rabbit in under an hour. Food cannot save you from dying of thirst. In fact, the human body can typically survive three weeks or more without food. Mahatma Gandhi survived a full 21 days of total starvation, but three days without hydration and you'll kick the bucket. Goodbye. But we tend to take water for granted. Turn on your taps and out pours water. We've forgotten or likely never experienced true water deprivation. Benjamin Franklin summed it up with best with this quote. And I never heard this quote from Benjamin Franklin. I think it's pretty cool. When the well is dry, we know the worth of water, right? Never heard that one from Benjamin Franklin. When the well is dry, we know the worth of water. All right. So luckily, there's an effective method for collecting a source of drinking water, and it comes from the sky. Even though our society depends on tap water, we can still collect rainwater. Let me ask you a question. What do you think happens when people or countries start fighting over the only resource we can't live without? One word, violence. And it will be greater and more devastating than anything we've seen from humanity so far. And it's already started. A troubling thought indeed. So uh, just FYI, there is a link there when he says it's already started. And uh, he is linking to a National Geographic's uh, news article. So it makes sense to set up a rain collection system no more than ever. The water will be fresh and clean. The effort involved is minimal. When a resource as valuable as water is both free via rain and collectible, you take advantage of it. You take advantage of it. I think you take advantage of it, should say. Rainwater collection options. Water collection is as old a skill as we've ever known. Older than fire, even. Of course, as time has gone on, our methods have become less rudimentary and more refined. We've been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years, so naturally, we've gotten pretty good at it. There are several schools of thoughts and techniques to approach rainwater collection. Some are eastern, some are western, some are good, some are bad, and others are ugly. But they all tend to revolve around the same core set of principles. The bigger the surface area, the more water you can collect. Water that's collected is transported efficiently. Water that's transported gets filtered. A jerry-rigged system that accomplishes these three principles is all you need. But we can also do better than that. So I've compiled a list of rainwater collection methods. There are two routes you can take to accomplish efficient rainwater harvesting. Build your own or buy one. Number one, building a rainwater collection system. Improvising a rainwater harvesting system. With the three principles listed above, you need a large surface area, transportation, and filtration. I have seen people use tarps to create a funnel for the water and a bucket at the bottom to catch it in. A setup like this works best if you're not allowed to tap into your roof for water collection. For instance, if you live in a condominium or an apartment building. So there's again, there's a video here, rain collection, collection quick deploying, deploying rain catchment. Um, I would suggest to you, if you are concerned, if this is something, you should have a big tarp. The bigger the tarp, the better to where you can lay out and maybe even stretch it out uh, between trees or whatever, um, you know, so where you can catch a lot of water and you can funnel it. I think that's a great option. Places like Harbor Freight, I mean, they the tools are junk, right? I mean, they're like 
Harbor Freight tools are like one-time use. That's what everybody says. It's like you're going to use it one time and then don't count on it again. It's going to break on you. But they do sell a lot of tarps, and a lot of the times you can get the tarps cheap there. Um, again, it's not the, the high-quality tarps, but if you're looking for something for emergency situation where you can roll it out and you can catch rain, that might be something uh, that you might want to be interested in. I have some ideas for ourselves up in the country uh, in my dad's place uh, with that. All right, so continuing on. In the wild, broad leaves can also work if you find yourself surrounded by them. It is also possible to open up and hang a rain jacket or rain cover so that it collects and transports the water. Hell, even using saran wrap, unrolled and spread out, can work in a pinch. Uh, I mean, I hate using saran wrap. All right, uh, continuing on. Building a stationary permanent rainwater harvesting system. If you want to cre create your rainwater collection system at your house, you need supplies. Luckily, your roof is one of the best collection tools available. There's a big surface area and funnel rainwater down towards a central location. A roof with gutters takes care of the first principle. There are many ways to do roof-based rainwater collection. The method below describes a few. The basic no extras rainwater collection system. As with most permanent rain collection setups, this one also use your, uses your existing roof and gutters, and the basic setup only requires one additional item. A new rainwater barrel, like this one. There's a link. Note of caution, never reuse an old barrel, especially if you don't know what was stored in it in the past. This is life-giving water you may need to consume someday, so the last thing you want to use is a barrel that once held oil or chemicals. You also should buy a barrel that includes a standard spigot at the bottom, a lid with an opening at the top with a filter screen, and an overflow port as well. Having these features pre-installed in your barrel will save you a ton of headaches. Note, you'll need a garden hose to connect to your spigot if you don't already have one. How to build this simple rainwater collection system. Hey, let me go back up to this garden hose thing. If, if you don't have a lot of pressure and it's a long garden hose, you're not gonna get um, you're not gonna get a lot of flow out of that um, that uh, that hose. So what what I've done is I have a little little hoses that I've made that come off of the my uh, my rain barrels, and um, they haven't been collecting rain. I think my gutters are. I need to go up there and figure out what's going on. But uh, a little a little hose that comes off the spigot, and then I have watering cans that it goes right into because just it just there's not enough pressure. You have to have um, you have to have them up pretty high in order to push that that rainwater out or the water that's in the rain barrels. So something to consider there. All right. So uh, how to build the simple rainwater collection system? Step one: measure the height of your rain barrel so you know where to make a cut in your downspout. Ultimately, you want to use your existing downspout elbow near the ground and move it up, move it up to be just high enough for the barrel to fit under it. Step two: using a hacksaw, cut the gutter. Step three, relocate your gutter elbow located near the ground up to the freshly cut location. Step four, once the elbow has been relocated, place the barrel under the gutter system on a flat surface. You need to, you need, uh, you, I think it says, you need the barrel to be close enough to the gutter for the water from the elbow to flow into it. That's it. You don't need to make it more complex or difficult than it needs to be. Anyone can do this simple rainwater collection system. So there's, uh, again, another, uh, um, another video that you can uh, check out there. All right, it also preferable to install the barrel on a surface made of concrete or of paving stones or gravel. This helps ensure stability since it, a full 55 gallon rain barrel can weigh nearly 500 pounds barrel and water weight combined. 
If it's installed on a slope of any kind, it can tip over and hurt someone. And if it's on the bare ground, it can sink and make a muddy mess over time. That's it. You, need, you now have a bona fide method for collecting rainwater right from your roof. Note of caution. If you live in a climate that receives below freezing temperature in the winter, it's best to empty your barrel for the season to prevent the water from freezing, expanding, and destroying your barrel. Building a complex collection system. You can expand upon the basic rainwater collection system and make it large and more complex. If you want to increase the amount of survival water storage, you have two options. One, a one large tank. The first option is to get a large barrel tank or cistern. Note, the bigger your tank, the more likely you'll have to reconfigure your gutters in order to divert the water to the larger barrels. I've seen people use old hot tubs or large plastic tanks to collect rainwater. In some cases, you may prefer to build a separate roofing system just to collect rainwater into such a large tank. The principles are the same. It's just a large system. Number two, several smaller barrels tied together. Or if you're not into going large with a massive tank uh, right away, you may you have the option to grow your system over time. You can daisy chain smaller 55 gallon sized barrels together. This setup, when installed correctly, will add extra water capacity by distributing the water storage into more tanks. What I like best about this approach is you can start today with a reasonable upfront investment and grow your system barrel by barrel over time. It's a win-win. You can then add as many separate barrels linked together with hoses as you wish. Here's an excellent explanation of how a daisy-chained rainwater collection system should work. So again, another uh, video there. Uh, and actually, they do the same thing with the, uh, the, the hoses coming off the spigot into watering cans. So that's pretty cool. Alright, so uh, did you notice the better collection systems are up on a platform? That's to provide a nice level surface to keep the barrels clean and dry and to provide a bit more water pressure at the base of the tank using gravity. So consider buying or building an elevated platform. You can do this with a few cinder blocks or build a platform out of wood. Adding a pump. Another upgrade worth considering, and I'm sorry, there's another video there, uh, rain barrel system, 220 gallons. Um, adding a pump. Another upgrade worth considering is to add a submersible pump. A pump gives you water pressure without depending on gravity. So you can use your water at further locations or even pipe the collected rainwater to a new location, even to inside your home. And so there's a video on a pumping, uh, rain barrel pumping station. Water pillow rainwater collection option. The last option we'll look at today is a rainwater pillow. This pillow is the equivalent water storage of about 10 55 gallon barrels. So instead of daisy chaining 13 barrels together, you can use one water pillow, assuming you have a good place to locate it. And so the rainwater pillow, there is a link there on uh, to go to Amazon, and then there's another video that you can watch there on rainwater collection. All right, keep in mind you'll want to filter and purify any rainwater from your roof. Roofs are not clean. They collect bird and squirrel droppings, road dust settles on them during long periods without rain, and leaf debris builds up on them as well. So always filter and purify the water if you intend to use any of it for cooking or consumption. Check out our recommended water resources for more information. So some more links there. Hey, I'll also say putting in a first flush, if you're going to have a big system, putting in a, uh, a first flush. And what that means is that when um, the water is hitting the roof and it's running down the gutter, it's going to fill up. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to divert. So you have this, you know, usually a PVC valve or something like that, that diverts the water uh, to this 
uh, or it goes down this, this spigot until it fills up and then like a, usually like a ball will float up and then divert the rest of the water to the, um, to the tank. And that's just so that all the, the, the poop and, and leaves and, and everything else that's there won't find its way into the, uh, into your rainwater. And so it makes it a little bit cleaner. It's just a, just a, like a pre-filter type thing. Uh, doesn't mean that you, you're not supposed to filter it, but uh, it definitely, definitely helps. We're looking into putting one of those up into the country in my dad's place. All right, so um, mosquito management. Mosquitoes breed like crazy in open stagnant water. That's why you should pick up a few packs of mosquito dunks to prevent creating a mosquito infestation haven. Your neighbors will appreciate it. Done for you rain harvesting system. Having an entire rainwater collection system installed for you is a budgetary decision. How much time and money do you want to spend on your rainwater collector? If you want to save a few bucks and invest a little more heavily in time, you should build your own. However, if you have the cash to burn and no time to spare, buying one is a better option for you. Plus, it ensures you're collecting and filtering your water in an efficient manner. Normally, there's less chance for error with a done-for-you installation, but you still have the responsibility of maintaining it. Many vendors specialize in rainwater harvesting systems and most provide a variety of setups, so you'll have to weigh your options and decide what's best for you. Start by asking a few fundamental questions. How much water do you use? How much water usage do you want to replace? How much and how often does it rain in your area? How much money do you have to spend? And what are you going to use the water for? You'll need to contact a local rainwater harvesting vendor in your area and see what options there are for you. The legality of harvesting rainwater. Myths abound surrounding the legality of rainwater collection in the U.S. I've heard it said it's illegal almost everywhere. This statement is ill-informed and ludicrous to me because, well, it is. Collecting rainwater is legal in most states. However, each state has their own nuisance and nuisances and specific rules around the collection of rainwater. So, of course, you should check the legality in your state. But in general, it's a legal thing to do. I think it's like uh, the last time I heard of a state that, that had passed the law was Oregon, if I, if I remember correctly. But I don't know of any other states that you can't do it. In my opinion, collecting rainwater should be a human right, and it should stay that way. However, there's no telling the kinds of restrictive policies governments may put in place in the future. Perhaps someday our government will start enforcing stricter policies on collecting rainwater, and th that would be a shame and unacceptable. No one owns the rain. It comes from above and every generation across time has had free and unadulterated access to it. If the powers that be ever threaten this precious resource, we the people should do something about it. Until then, feel free to collect rainwater on your property as you wish. But keep a watchful eye on your state's policies and laws and those of your municipality. Bonus. But what if there's no rain? It's a good question. Rain collection does not work without the key ingredient. Rain. So we can simply call the section water collection. Obviously, digging is one way to find water. It depends on the location, season, and recent weather. But if you dig deep enough, you'll get to water eventually just about anywhere. Some areas, the water table is very shallow, a few feet deep, uh, while other areas, you'll have to dig hundreds of feet deep. So the, viabil so the viability of this option is location dependent. Morning dew is also an option. You can collect natural humidity called dew off vegetation in the mornings. In some locations, dew blankets the grass in the morning. That way, you're going to try. That's what you're going to try and collect. So uh, there's a, a, another 
uh, article here, Survival Water, Pur Water Purification Collecting Dew. Uh, final word. Think about this. In an apocalypse, the resource that will matter most is clean, fresh water. So it may become one of the most tradable items on earth. I wouldn't be surprised if the economy were someday restructured around water. Should that be the case, it makes sense to invest in a rainwater collection system today, one that produces and regenerates drinking water on a sustainable basis. Rainwater collection is like life insurance, because water is necessary and without it, you die. A rainwater collection system ensures you have a built-in supply of rainwater. It can mean the difference between life and death. The bottom line is you're not totally ready and you're not fully prepared without having a rainwater harvesting system in place. It will be worth it in the end, trust me. So totally agree with that last few statements there, paragraphs, uh, sentences, I guess. Um, when, when my dad bought his place out in the country, that was, that was the first thing. I'm like, dad, it, it doesn't matter what we put on there. If you don't have water, it's, it's a death trap. So that was one of the first things he invested in a well. And, uh, it is a deep, it is a deep well. Um, not as deep as we thought it was going to need to be, but, uh, it is a deep well. And we do have ways, uh, of, of getting water out if, you know, our generators aren't working and stuff like that. So, I mean, we're, we're good to go. I, I feel very comfortable with that up there, our system, the, the way that we have it. But it's very, very true. Um, you know, w one thing is you, you hear about these salination plants. Uh, and I think some, um, Middle Eastern co uh, countries have done this. Uh, have built them uh, just because water is so like Saudi Arabia, if I'm not mistaken. But there should be like California should be putting money in, in into this, and it's very very expensive uh, up front. But these are things you know, where you can pull in water from the ocean, and you can uh, you know you can purify it and filter it and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, you know that that should be something that people are putting money to. You're, they're putting money to you know uh, rail systems and all this other kind of stuff where they can put money into that and and not worry about uh, or you know not having water you know the drought now they're in good shape right now california's in good shape right now because of all the rain and, and the snow and it actually when the snow starts melting uh, we might see some you know some some disasters coming by because there's going to be so much water coming down but uh, we'll see what happens there uh you know uh, people in california keep an eye out on that one and i'm sure you already are but a good article there. So a lot of good stuff today, a lot of good information. Um, there's Again, like, like always, the articles that I'm reading have, uh, you want to go visit them because they have so many good links to it and things that you can uh, check out. All right. So that's it for episode 30. Um, that, that in itself is crazy to me that, uh, you know, it's been six weeks. Um, so episode 30, wow. If you, uh, if you get a chance... To review the prepperwebsitepodcast.com, I would greatly appreciate it. You can, you can go to iTunes and you can go to Stitcher. Uh, you can go to any of the you know any other podcasting network that you're using. They usually have a way to review uh, the podcast, and I would greatly appreciate it. Um, if you get a chance, come by the um, the prepperwebsitepodcast.com and leave me uh, a note. You know, touch base with me somehow. Uh, you can leave messages on the comments. Uh, you can you know send me an email. Uh, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I always like to hear from you. Uh, that's always that's always a great thing. And so, 
And this is uh, this is going to be it for this week. Uh, if during the weekend you're like just craving some some preparedness information, head on over to prepperwebsite.com. We're posting uh, articles there daily, and so you'll you, know, you can get your fill of preparedness information over there. Uh, I know that there are some good articles going up today, and so um, you know I I think those are there are going to be some really good reads over there uh, for the weekend for those of you that that go check that out. All right, so until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.